Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Africa Legal Podcast Series. My name is Carol Campbell, and today I'm joined by Doreen Onwanga and Emmanuel Moeka from KN Law in Nairobi. Doreen is a partner in the firm with significant experience as in-house counsel within the finance sector and now specializes in real estate, project finance, construction, and capital market transactions. Emmanuel is a senior associate with a special focus on commercial dispute resolution and litigation. Welcome and thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Carol. Happy to be here. Thank you, Carol. Glad to be here. Lovely to have you. Doreen, let's start with you um, and let's start at the beginning. How did you come to work in the law? Thanks, Carol. Pretty interesting story. Just uh, takes me back to right before I joined university. Uh, so I had just finished my high school education. And as is in Kenya, I, I think probably happens all over the world. You're faced with that choice as to what course do you want, do you want to do in university and which university you want to go to. So there's all this myriad of choices and I wasn't sure which one to do. I wasn't sure which sector I really wanted to be in. After much thought, and of course, with a little bit of encouragement, I then figured out law would actually be the best option because it really doesn't tie you down. I wasn't sure they wanted to be in the media, in healthcare, but with law, then it allows you, of course, probably you would be in the background, but if you wanted to be in the media, the law allows you to be there. If you wanted to be in pharmaceuticals, the law allows you to be there as legal counsel. If you wanted to be in real estate projects and infrastructure, the things that are right now, um, financial services, the law allows you to do that. So that was one of the reasons that, that was the key reason why I chose to uh, pursue law and it's really worked for me. So just being able to have that choice, uh, whichever sector I wanted to get into, just being able to have that flexibility and get into it. Wonderful options. And uh, Emmanuel, could you share with our listeners something of your journey? Thank you, Carol. On my part, um, the journey into law was influenced by my two main interests, which was um, I was really interested in business and how organizations and corporates function and how they make money, how they operate, how they govern um, their structures, as well as policy, influencing public policy, ensuring that policy is favorable to business, it's um, considerate of the interests and rights of citizens, and helps a country to grow. So law seemed to be at the perfect intersection of both being able to um, understand how business works and operate in the business field, as well as um, understand how policy is made and how to influence policy and ensure that the policies that are made are considerate of both their immediate consequences and as well as unforeseen consequences. Well, going back to Doreen, now, Doreen, I know that you also made the transition from in-house counsel back to private practice with a law firm. Now, we usually see this transition run the other way. What motivated you to make this change and, and what skills and perspectives do you bring from your time in-house to your current practice? Thanks, Carol. Actually, for me, it's been two-way. I started out my career in private practice and then transitioned into in-house counsel, uh, worked at two financial services providers, and then moved back into private practice. So a pretty interesting journey for me. So ideally, what what I'll just speak about what informed my transition from in-house counsel to private practice. Uh, I must say I was, I was lucky to have worked with... Um, very uh, enterprising people at two firms that I've worked with before moving into care and law. Uh, I really learned a lot of um, 
a lot of insights into business, just speaking in what Emmanuel said about wanting to know, know about how businesses run and how they operate and just being at the center of it all. Because uh, as in-house counsel, then of course you have that direct line with the business uh, business leader. Uh, you get to know this is what they want, this are the timelines that they want. It was a pretty exciting journey really tough also because it's in-house counsel that you really have to learn how to balance between um, how do you manage risk for the farm and how then do you ensure that the goals of the business are actually achieved because at times the business can be, can be pretty demanding in terms of what it wants so that balancing role was really essential for me so just that in-house role for me really helps me I have I have walked in your shoes. I have walked in the shoes of in-house counsel, mm. so I'm really able to understand. Uh, by the time uh, working for a farm, I understand the pressures that my colleague on the other end as in-house counsel will, is going through, and that really helps in terms of then trying to find solutions that work for our clients because um, you tend to understand. And working with business leaders helps you see things from a different perspective, not just from the legal perspective. You see things from the business perspective. So I think just getting those perspectives, being in those shoes, and understanding at times the pressure and how you really need to come with solutions. Really, for me, um, those are the insights that I bring in having been in-house counsel before. Well, that's a wonderful introduction into our next question, which is for Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel, KN Law is a young and agile law firm, but what's it like to compete for work with the bigger firms in Kenya um, and the wider continent? What do you think sets you guys apart for, from them? Thank you, Carol. Um, the first thing that I would say sets us apart is the quality of the personal client relationship that we have with um, our clients when we are doing these transactions or acting on their behalf. Now, um, as as firms have grown larger across the globe, there has been a sense, um, especially among the client class, that the services are getting depersonalized. You're dealing with this large behemoth institution, and it is unclear whether the advocates who actually acting for you or working on your matters have your personal interests and whether they actually care for your business as much as you do. So when you deal with us, when you deal with a mid-sized firm such as KN, you find a more inviting atmosphere where you find people are very easily accessible. We talk with clients um, at any time. There is very there's very few in the way of limitations and protocols that um, hold back the development of the client relationship. So the client has a very personal relationship with the advocate. They get to understand their advocate sees their concerns, understands their commercial perspectives, is able to break down the legal perspective of whatever issue it is that they are addressing or dealing with um, to them in a manner that they understand. They are able to see what their options are, the consequences of those um options and any decisions that they make along that line and what would the right um, way to proceed be so that 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 has that 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 is one of the very good benefits that you get for um, of working for a farm of our size now in terms of competing out there with the big farms the things that at the end of the day really matter to the client are two things um, quality of work and cost efficiency Am I getting value for my money? That's the question that the client is always asking themselves. When they engage you on any transaction, they're asking themselves, are you going to actually provide value in this transaction? Are you going to just go beyond maybe just drafting documents and provide me with relevant and practical advice that will secure my interests? And that is something that we are very able to provide and at a very cost-effective rate, which then 
gives us a platform to be able to compete with these big firms. And this boutique way of practicing law is taking a lot of traction as clients demand a more personalized, personalized level of attention in the delivery of their legal services. Thank you. Emmanuel, what you just said is beautifully illustrated, I think, by your own founding partners, uh, somebody who I have interviewed uh, before, uh, Mugambi Nandi, and I believe that he's relocated to the UK in response to increased client demand for advice and bridging the gap now between Europe and Africa. How's that working out so far? Have you heard, or maybe Doreen would would know, what benefit this relocation hopes to bring the firm and, most importantly, the clients that you refer to? If I may take that, Carol. So um, it's it's, it's been an exciting move for the firm. Um, Really, it was the next step forward. Uh, And just to mention... um, part of Kenyan tradition, Mugambi himself was actually also in house counsel, just like me. So we actually share that common heritage. Um, I think it was long overdue. As a firm, we actually have a lot of partnerships with our UK-based firms. I think one of the things about being a boutique law firm, still being a medium-sized, still being small, is that you're really not affiliated to any particular uh, legal group or legal firm. So we're able to work with a variety of firms. And generally, Kenya and the UK share a very a long common tradition. We are both commonal jurisdictions and we really draw a lot from uh, UK juris, uh, jurisprudence. For instance, uh, we have our Companies Act 2015. There's a lot of similarities and a lot of parallels with the UK Companies Act 2006. Same with our various laws on uh, insolvency. So it was really uh, one of those decisions that it's just the right thing to do and it's the right time to do it. Um, so far, we have been uh, engaging with firms that we've worked with before, and um, so far, so good. We are definitely looking forward to better growth, uh, maybe a little bit constrained with the current situation with uh, COVID-19, but um, so far, so good. We are looking forward to more partnerships, and I think just recently, um, in, in there was the UK-Africa Investment Forum. I think um, Gambi was actually one of the people who attended. And one of the key themes in the in the investment summit, and actually Kenya's first green bond was actually also co-listed in the in the in the London Stock Exchange. Just speaking to the type of partnerships um, uh, and mutual interest and investments that stand uh, to exist between Kenya and the UK. So it's an amazing opportunity for partnership. We look forward to both learning from the UK jurisdiction and partnering with firms, and essentially just bridging that. Gap. So exciting, uh, exciting times ahead. We're looking forward to it, and we we are ready for it as a farm. Oh, Doreen, you know you you raised the dreaded COVID word, and uh, I, it was coming into my next question. And I must just ask you: in your own practice, has that been very badly impacted? Uh, um. The initial months, yes, I think there was also a lot of knee-jerk reactions from clients, uh, looking at your office spaces, how to deal with the employees. I think there's a lot of information out there. People are a little bit confused. But with the new normal, as we like to call it here, as we like to call it, uh, just working from home and everything, uh, I think over the last one month, and I think it's this is a conversation that I've also had with a couple of clients. You've seen, uh, you've seen transactions slowly trickling in. For instance, we do a lot of real estate. 
so of course, uh, house sales, for instance, uh, sales, sales of residential units are depressed at this moment. When we're seeing inflows coming in at the moment, uh, people are seeing this as an opportunity to build infrastructure for the next project. So there's a steady uh, increase in terms of the number of books that we're receiving, uh, even in banking and securities. I think as people wrap their heads around COVID-19 and probably that it's here to stay for maybe a while, longer than we thought it would, then we all have found a way to work around it. And I think the best way we see that is uh, the increase in the number of groups over the last month. But definitely the first few months is a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, no sure way of how to deal with uh, deal with it. Then there was really a slump, but things are normalizing and we hope to find a way forward. Uh, we really do have to find a way forward. So we, are, we are confident that we will. Emmanuel, if I could bring you in there, just to, to ask your advice, um, what would you say to companies, um, your clients, on what could they be doing to ensure future stability in gr- and growth in the current context? Now, there are several measures that companies might want to consider um, during this COVID period. Um, in terms of looking at future sustainability and how their businesses operate, and even taking the lessons of um, this period, because it is important that we not only survive this period, but we learn from it, and we move these lessons on, um, and we use these lessons going forward to ensure that if there is another pandemic in the future, that we are better prepared than we were this time around. Now, one of the first aspects that we could look at is the question of employment. Now, in countries like the USA, the United States of America, you have what they call at-will employment, which is employment that is entirely at the will of the employer and can be terminated without notice for any reason. Now, that might undermine the constitutional considerations of protection of employees, but there is a way to bridge a middle gap and ensure that where a company is not operating or circumstances are such that it is impossible to conduct business, then the company gets reprieve on its employment obligations because these companies are making the money that they make in the month, their revenue month on month is what they use to pay these employment contracts and they use to pay wages and salaries. Now, if right now we are considering in the context of Kenya, passing a pandemic management and response bill. And one of the things that this seeks to do is look at how we deal with employment relationships during that period. However, unlike what we would have expected based off of the lessons that you think we would have gathered from this period, we are not providing employers with the flexibility they need. And employers will therefore have to provide themselves with this flexibility in the way they craft their contracts. Force majeure clauses will need to become a standard in contracts where it is understood between the employer and the employee if circumstances beyond my control are such that the company cannot operate or we are no longer in business then this contract will have been terminated by circumstances because right now companies are being forced to consider either um take undertaking a redundancy process which is very costly in the short run Mm -hmm. or being forced to send employees on unpaid leave which leaves the concern of what happens when they resume back from unpaid leave is that period treated as 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 Will there be any recovery made on that period? And that's a concern even the employees have. So we need to introduce a bit more flexibility in how employment relationships are managed. Um, Secondly, we need to look at, um, in terms of the insolvency process, we need need to look at introducing pre-insolvency measures into the country, into part of our legislation and regulation, which would provide 
a forum where companies which are not yet facing insolvency, but which without assistance and an avenue for managing their debt and um, financial situation would fall into insolvency, being prevented from falling into insolvency. If we do that, we would cure a lot of companies that end up being liquidated or being declared insolvent that would otherwise have survived if they just got the support they needed. So these are some of the structures that um, companies need to look at. Um, for those companies that are already in debt distress, there are several measures that they can look at, including company voluntary arrangements, which allow the directors to engage the creditors to come up with a way of restructuring their debt to ensure that the company continues to operate as a going concern, which is to the benefit of everyone because these creditors are usually suppliers or investors who either want to make um, a return on their in, on their investment or want to make money through the business of providing the company with whatever supplies it says that they are. These parties do not benefit when these companies are allowed to go under. So pre-insolvency measures would really be a welcome benefit to these companies. And for those companies who find themselves in difficult circumstances, if they reach out to insolvency practitioners, advocates, and um, ask for this advice, they'll be showed how they can use the tools that are provided within our multitude of laws to address the circumstances that they are presently facing. Um, the last one is that this is also um, a very good chance for companies to look at how they structure their operations um, for efficiency, um, for resilience to shocks such as this, to operational mm. shocks such as pandemics or um, war or other sorts of political crises. Um, this would be the chance, this, this opportunity when there's a slowdown in business gives a chance, especially for companies where this might be very difficult to accomplish during normal operating periods. The slowdown can afford an opportunity to look at restructuring your operations. You know, Emmanuel, listening to you talk, it really brings home, uh, you know, just the, the scale of what's happened across the world. You know, this is unfolding in Kenya, South Africa, the UK, all over. Um, so these are problems and, and challenges that we've, we're all facing. And I think that, that your advice would go way beyond Africa. But thank you very much for that. That was most insightful. Thank you very um, much, Carl. Doreen, to, to, to talk to you and uh, to, to swing the subject over to um, the whole issue of female leadership, but we, we always like to ask the strong woman that we interview a little bit about um, yourself, your, your own experience working in law and maybe some of the frustrations that you've had on your journey in terms of gender equality, specifically in the legal industry. Could I ask, what advice do you wish you could give your younger self if you could go back in time and speak to her as she starts out in your, uh, her career, the young Doreen? <laughs> thanks, Carol. Um, and thanks. Um, it's really a journey, uh, still growing, uh, still trying to be strong. Many times, uh, of course, you really doubt yourself, you're not really there, but I'm thankful uh, that people that, that are strong women that have gone before us, available to coach and mentor, and for that, I remain thankful. Um, I think uh, for me, the journey has been uh, pretty exciting, of course, with its ups and downs. Uh, the key issue, and I think it's really something that really faces as, as most women, is uh, just having that confidence in yourself, just believing in yourself, believing that you deserve that position, believing that, not even believing, uh, knowing uh, that you deserve to actually lead, knowing that you've actually earned it, knowing that 
you deserve those fees and just demanding what is due due to you because of the hard work you put in, the work you put in. I think for a lot of women, that's really a, ch- a challenge. We tend to undervalue ourselves. We tend to not be able to, if I may use the word, to just lean in. We tend we, we tend to be shy of, of our capabilities. So for me, that yeah. is really a key thing that um, to all uh, ladies and women out there, just build your confidence. You're worth it. You earned it. And for me, it's actually still a journey. I know I uh, I actually deserve it. I and it, but for me, it really has to be a constant reminder. And of course, it also has its positive pull because knowing that if we like you continuously then have to actually prove yourself, how do I get the confidence of my colleagues? So it's been a pretty interesting journey. But for me, uh, key advice is really have confidence in yourself. Know that you've earned it as long as you put in the hard work and people will respect you uh, if you actually show them your value, if you actually show them your worth. Just by default, just by showing how enterprising you are, how solution-oriented you are, people will, by default, come to you with their questions. People will look up to you as their leader. It's for us women, then, it becomes more about uh, than setting yourself out there. Uh, actually, just the respect would not come, um, would just not come automatically. You have to work at it, but then it's really a good thing. So it's it's been a challenging experience for me, but uh, still learning. Uh, thankful for the women out there who have really been coaching and mentoring, and actually also for the men out there. I receive a couple of um, mentorship calls, even from our senior partner Mugambi. Uh, this is a mentorship call, so really that really helps. Uh, and it's very surprising when actually you receive that call and you're like, this is how, and really thankful for that. So get advice from wherever you can. Uh, take all mentorship, all coaching, uh, whatever you can to build yourself and just know your worth. Um, you've earned it, work hard, and opportunities are there. Um, the glass ceiling, of course, still there, but... Um, we are scaling heights and um, opportunities are there, I think. And mentorship, coaching, take advantage of all those opportunities and know your value, be able to speak your value. So for me, that's it, just learn to lean in. Um, but really, it's really an amazing opportunity to be able to play that role of leadership. Really, uh, for me, it had to. I had to learn a couple of skills that really didn't come in from my university or from high school, just a couple of soft skills. You have to be a fair leader. You have to learn how to delegate. Business development then really has to be a key element in terms of what you do. So it's um, you have to continue learning. And there's a lot of other skills that you really don't learn in school that you really need to then learn as you go through the journey. Emmanuel, would, would you like to add something to that, especially with relation to younger people coming into the legal professions? If I may add, for the young people, I think my message to them would be it takes it takes time. The legal profession is um, a career where you build yeah. your stripes over time, slowly and patiently, and that patient needs to it, it needs to be a virtue that you adopt. Um, it takes a while to build um, experience. Um, take, for example, our senior partner. Our senior partner has over 20 years of experience of doing this, and that is what makes him as, as good as he is. It, you do not just wake up one day and expect to be able to transact at the level he transacts. Um, mm. And that is the message I'll tell young advocates. I started as a commercial litigator. 
I now do both commercial litigation and dispute resolution as well as um, transactional aspects, um, mergers and acquisition, debt and equity markets, um, privatization and the like. And that has been a learning process where you wake up every day and you decide this is the kind of advocate I want to be in either five years or in 10 years. And you put in the hard work every day. You might not see the results day in, day out, but over time they accumulate and you start seeing the progress. You start seeing your capacity and your capabilities expanding and clients start recognizing that those rewards are there, but you just require some patience, some hard work and a plan on what kind of advocate you intend to be at the end of the day. Wonderful advice. Doreen and Emmanuel, it's been lovely to get to know you and to hear your views. You've been listening to Carol Campbell in conversation with Doreen Onwanga and Emmanuel Moeka from KN Law in Nairobi for the Africa Legal Podcast Series. To participate or suggest speakers, contact Africa Legal through social media or via our website. Until next time, this is the Africa Legal Podcast Series bringing you the leaders in law from across the continent. Goodbye and thank you for listening.